So if you brought your Bibles this morning, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll throw it up on the screen for you, or you can pull it up on your phone. Um, but uh, we're beginning this, these last few days, these last few hours of, of the life of Jesus. And, um, but we're going to be in these last few chapters up until Thanksgiving. So if you're just joining us, um, I mean, we're going to walk through these last a uh, few chapters of John very slowly so we can kind of digest and take in what we've been, uh, what uh, the Word of God says. Um, but in what we're doing, what we've been doing during this series, it's been, we've been looking at the life, that Jesus, uh, life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to as his followers. And the words disciples and the, the Greek word is methetes. And it gives this word picture of somebody following so closely behind their teacher that they're literally covered in the dust of their sandals. And so hopefully over this uh, series, we've gotten more and more dust, more and more sand on us from following Jesus just so closely that we're following him closer today than we were six months ago. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But, and so we're, we're trekking with Jesus and uh, learning about the life he calls us to. And then here in John chapter 13, Jesus begins his journey uh, to the cross. And he's sharing his last meal, his last supper with his disciples. And he wants to communicate one final lesson to his disciples. And one final lesson to you and I. As we're invited to follow him. And Jesus, he does something so very unique. So, so unique to demonstrate to his disciples just how much he loves them and how he wants them to go out into the world and love others. And what does he do? He washes their feet. And we're going to make four observations this morning. Instead of giving them to you up front, we're just going to kind of unpack them as we go along, well, go along in John chapter 13. And the first one that we're going to talk about is that this is we have to ask the question, is the love of God growing in us? Is the love of God growing in us? So let's do John chapter 13. Let's look at verses one and two. It says it was just before the Passover festival. And the Passover festival was this Jewish holiday that would remind the Jewish people of how God brought them out of uh, Egypt as, as slaves and, you know, these supernatural, you know, acts of God that uh, finally um, Pharaoh agreed to release them and just how God had taken care of them. And so God told them, remember this day, remember this day, remember this day. And so they'd celebrate Passover together. Uh, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. And that phrase, the hour, it means his death, uh, would leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So, so we have, set the stage here, uh, we, have Jesus, uh, we have Judas... We have Judas the betrayer at the table with Jesus. Now, now, let's think about Judas for a minute, okay? That everything that Jesus had ever done, everything that Jesus had ever said, Judas heard it. Judas saw it with his own eyes. And so when we think about that, Judas had the very best small group leader in human history. The very best small group leader. 
I mean, we have some great small group leaders, home group leaders here at Gospel City, but I, I dare say that any of us would say that we're better than Jesus, okay? None of us would. But Judas had the best small group leader. Um, Judas heard the very best preaching every single day. He didn't have to podcast. He didn't have to watch somebody. Uh, he had the very best that he heard every single day. Judas had the best moral example that anyone could follow in front of him every day. Judas, Judas had the best ministry training that anybody could ever receive from the most established and, uh, uh, and top seminaries in the world. Judas had it all. And yet somehow, some way, Judas never put his faith in Jesus. Judas never, uh, the gospel never found its way into his heart. And so what that means is we can be around all the same things. We can experience the same training and the same preaching all to a lesser extent, obviously. And still miss it. That, that we can hear the right things and do the right things and, um, and, and say the right things and still not grab hold of the gospel. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves is, have we truly put our faith in Jesus? The question is not, how much of the Bible do I know? That's not the question. It's an important question, but not the question. But the question is not how much church attendance have I racked up? How many good deeds have I done? How many people have I helped? How have I impacted the community? How much money have I, have I given? That's not the question. The question we need to ask today is have we truly put our faith in Jesus? Are our lives being changed because of our faith in Jesus? Is the love of God growing? Is the love of God expanding? Is the love of God taking over our hearts and our lives and our mind? Because if the Spirit of God is indeed working in us, not only is the love of God growing and expanding in our hearts and minds and lives, but also the fruit of the Spirit is growing in us as well. So the first question is, have we put our, is, is the love of God growing in us? The second observation for us this morning is the unity of the spirit. Let, let, let's just kind of see what Jesus does here as we talk about the unity of the spirit. Verse three says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. We just sang about that, by the way. In fact, all three songs we sang about that. Um, and that he, he had come from God and he was returning to God so that he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing. So he had a tunic on and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, now Peter's starting to pick up, oh, 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 this is a metaphor, but he's still not getting it. And then Simon Peter replied to the Lord, he says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body clean, and, and you are clean, though not every one of you. In other words, 
Peter says, you know, no, I want you to cleanse me. I know this is about a cleansing now. This is what this metaphor is about. And, and I want you to cleanse me, you know, of, I want you to cleanse all of me. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you've already been cleansed by my, you've already been cleansed by your faith in me. Okay, you, you've already put your faith in me. It's not, you're not gonna lose your salvation. You're not gonna lose your, 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 your place in heaven. Once, once, you've, once we've truly put our faith in Jesus, we can't lose that. And, and so Jesus is saying to Peter, you've already dealt with that. You've already made your decision, okay, about who I am. So, but not everybody in the room has. And I just wanna know is, you know, when Jesus said that, did he, you know, kind of side-eyed, you know, Judas over there? It's like, you know, Peter, you've, you've already had a bath, but not everybody in the room. We'll talk about that next week. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. So, when we see so many different characteristics of Jesus here on display in this simple act of service. For starters, we see the humility of Jesus, okay? Um, in, in, in this culture, it, 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 was, uh, it was very hot, okay, in this, in this desert, dry culture, which also meant that, or this place in, in the Middle East, and, uh, and also the roads were very dusty, okay? And, uh, and so, the, so it was very hot, and the roads were very dusty, which meant feet got extremely nasty and dirty, okay? Anybody just can't stand feet. I mean, feet are just the grossest, okay? There's a few of you. Uh, you're not going to like this part of the talk, okay? Um, but uh, so feet could get pretty gross. And, um, and, and the dusty roads were also marked with evidence that livestock like donkeys and horses and cattle were the main source of transportation, okay? If you're, if you're kind of catching what I'm throwing down, that in other words, you had to be really careful where you stepped, okay? Because if you weren't careful, if you weren't paying attention, uh, your, your feet would have much more on them than just the dust and the dirt of the day, okay? Because livestock didn't clean up after themselves, okay? And so the custom of the day was when you went inside somebody's house, the lowest of the lowest servant would, would wash your feet, and the washing of the feet would not only get the dust and the dirt and the grime and the whatever else you may have stepped in off your feet, but it was also, it was also cleansing because feet, because, you know, you, you, you wore chacos at best, okay? Um, which aren't shoes, by the way, okay? I mean, uh, anybody who wears any chaco fans, okay? Yeah, uh, it looks like your feet are dirty constantly when you're wearing chacos, okay? So just imagine, you've, when you wear chacos, it looks like you just got off a 12-mile hike, okay? Um, but uh, anyway, so it, it, it was customary for the lowest of the low servant to, to wash your feet, but it was all feet because you wore, you know, sandals, flip-flops, chacos, your feet would get cut and, and scraped and scratched. And so as they washed them, there was, so, there was a, an aseptic added that would also cleanse those wounds. And, and at the very least, the washing of the feet was refreshing. And so here we see the humility of Jesus by taking on the role of a servant. A sidebar, by the way, this, this is not in the talk, not in the notes, but here's a great leadership principle for, for any of us who ever find ourselves the most powerful person in the room. And by the way, 
at some point, every single one of us will find ourselves the most powerful person in the room. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with your friend group. Maybe it's at home. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves as leaders is how are we going to leverage that position? Are we going to leverage it for us? Are we going to leverage it for those that are around us? So that's a little sidebar. Think about that as leaders. Um, but we see the humility of Jesus. The, the, the second thing we see is we see the endurance of Jesus. Now, this is incredible, okay? It's incredible that, that Jesus was able to serve this way despite of what he was facing. I mean, think about the last time you had a big stressful week at school, okay? And maybe that was last year, but hey, guess what? Two weeks, it's coming, okay? Maybe now is a stressful time, uh, especially for teachers getting ready, you know, for, for the kids to come back. Um, or, or the last time you had a stressful day, uh, a week at work, you know, you're know, you trying to close a big deal, or, uh, or maybe it's been a stressful week at home. And, uh, man, we get so laser-focused, right? So laser-focused on that project, that deal, those, those doctor reports that hadn't come back yet, but you know they're not gonna you know, be good. And, and we get so laser-focused that we ignore everything and everybody around us, right? I mean, I'm guilty of that. But here Jesus is facing down the cross, dying for the sins of the world. He's going to be taking on the wrath and the judgment and the anger of God over our sin. And here we find him washing the disciples' feet. See, Jesus is thinking about the disciples in spite of his overwhelming circumstances. That his heart is consumed with us. Because of his love for us. We're also taught about the forgiveness and patience of Jesus here. That, that as we read the story, notice that it doesn't say that Jesus washed 11 of the 12 disciples' feet. You know, he, he, he's not washing... You know, the, the disciples' feet, and he comes to Judas, and he said, oh, nope, you know. Notice that it doesn't say he washed 10 out of 12. That as we read the story, it says that he washed all of the disciples' feet. And so what that means is that he did indeed wash the feet of Judas, the betrayer. He washed the feet of Peter, the denier, who would deny even ever heard of Jesus. He washed the feet of every disciple who in just a few short hours would abandon him in his time of greatest need. What that says about Jesus is that he loves and serves us despite of who we are or what we've done or what we will do. And so here Jesus gives us an example of so many things. So, okay, pastor, which one is it? Is it, is it love? Is it humility? Is it endurance? Is it forgiveness? Is it patience? And the answer is, yes. It's all of those. It's all of these. And Jesus shows us what it's like when the fruit of the Spirit is activated in our lives. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5, and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. And the implication is, if you have one, you have them all. 
If we have one fruit, we have it all. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are made alive in Christ and forgiven of our sins and become adopted children of God. And God puts his spirit in us and the product, the fruit, what the spirit produces in our lives is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in us. And as our relationship in Christ grows as we follow him closer. These grow and expand in us. And they're on full display. That's the unity of the spirit. So third observation is that love is washing feet. Love is washing feet. Let's, let's read verses 12 through 17. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that your Lord, now now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, this is the end of the line for Jesus. This is it. And he wants to show them what love is all about. He wants to show, of all the things that Jesus could have said and done to communicate this principle, he chooses to wash, his, to wash their feet. And there's no other place in human literature where the leader, the master, the, the, the Lord, the king uh, undresses himself and gets down on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his followers. So Jesus is communicating to the disciples and to us that love is a service. Love is an action. Love is a commitment. And one thing that love is not is not just a feeling. Love is not just a feeling, but it's service and action and commitment. And love means washing. Love means getting involved. Love means caring for. And and, and here. Watch, listen, don't miss this, okay? That love flows out of love. Love flows out of being loved, from experiencing the love of God. And and that's first and foremost of what we need to get our hearts and our minds around is how much we are loved by God. And I know that some of us, we're going through things right now and it doesn't feel like God loves me. And Mark, you don't know the situation that I'm facing. You don't know the circumstances. And it doesn't feel like God loves me. And we get so focused in on our, on our circumstance and so focused on our situation. But what we need to make our hearts and our minds and our souls do is we need to just kind of look at the cross. 
what our, we just want to, our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances dictate that we just come back here to this doctor's report. We come back here to this broken relationship and we get so focused, but we need to make ourselves or get some trusted people around us just to turn our focus to the cross because nothing says that we are loved more than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, while we were still yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. And I know the circumstances are big and it doesn't feel like God loves me, but hello, the cross says he does. And I'm going to grab hold of that. And I'm going to take that into my circumstance. And remember that Jesus loves me and he will not leave me nor forsake me no matter how bad this circumstance is. So to love flows out of being loved. Love flows out of the fullness of Christ in our lives and then it begins to spill out on others around us. Final observation. It's the practical side of all this. Is how is this cultivated? How is this cultivated in our lives? If, we, if you skip over to verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you. A new command I give you love one another. Now, every single one of us so wishes that Jesus would have just stopped right there. Because if he just would have said, new command, love one another, that would have been so general, so vague, so broad that we could get away with any interpretation, right? But he doesn't. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And let's, let's read the rest of the sentence, the rest of the verse together. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Oh, man. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus, why couldn't you just stop at love one another? Why'd you have to go there? See, by Jesus making foot washing the metaphor for what love means, it doesn't, it means that it doesn't take much to get started. And washing feet is pretty simple. It's just showing, it's showing concern for people's comfort and needs. And that's all it is. It's showing concern for people's comfort and needs. And, and so how do you get started? Well, we just start with those around us. We start with those around us. We, we, we start with the people we live with. The people we work with. The people we go to school with. The people we hang out with. And as those people's faces start rushing through our minds, I mean, we, we can identify some people who are pretty easy to love. We probably start with ourselves. There's gonna be people who are difficult to love. And then we all know some people who are impossible to love. Anybody know somebody who's impossible to love? Just raise your hand. Do you know somebody? Anybody sitting beside some? No, no, don't answer that. Don't answer that.
we need to apply the golden rule. And the golden rule says that we treat others the way we want to be treated. Not that we treat others the way they deserve to be treated or the way we want to treat them. It's the way we want to be treated. And there will be people that have made dumb decisions. There'll be people who have hurt us. There'll be people who betray us. Let me take a time out real quick. Before I make this application, there's always those circumstances. You say, yeah, but what about those people who prey on others? What about those people who abuse others? What I am not saying that reconcil- that forgiveness means reconciliation. Okay, I'm not saying that. There are some people who have hurt us so deeply and so bad, we need healthy boundaries around them. Okay, they do not need to have access to our lives or the people that we love. Okay, but we do need to come to the place that we can at least forgive them. And that doesn't mean we tell them we forgive them. It just means that we get to the point of saying they don't owe us anymore. I'm not going to be marked by this anymore. And that comes through counseling, lots of counseling. That comes through prayer. That comes through a community of believers around us. That comes only happens through Jesus. Okay, so I'm not making that. I just want to be clear about that. But there will be people that have made dumb decisions and hurt us and betrayed us. And they do not deserve to be treated with kindness and generosity and love. But the golden rule makes us, it makes us, it requires us to put ourselves in their place. And isn't it true that when you and I make stupid decisions, isn't it true that we want to be treated with kindness? Isn't it true when you and I make mistakes that we want to be treated with love and grace and mercy? That it is so difficult to put ourselves in the place of others. In fact, I would dare say it's impossible. So Jesus, Jesus came and put himself in our place. He came and he lived the life we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. He came and as our substitute, he took on the the wrath of God. He took on the penalty and payment for our sin. He went in our place. And Jesus sees us in our sin and he sees us in our brokenness and he serves and he loves us anyway. That Jesus washes not just our feet, but he washes our souls with his blood. And here's the deal. It's not based on our past of what we have and have not done. It's not based on our potential. It's not based on our religious record. It's not based on our merit, but it's based on faith in him and him alone. That it's not about what we can do for him. It's about what he's already done for us. It's putting our faith in him as our savior and Lord. When we do that and we allow his Love to rush over us and to consume us and to be the source of our identity and approval and significance and acceptance and security and hope is that we are the beloved children of, of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved meaning that we are 
dearly and richly and freely and wholly and unconditionally loved by him. And there's nothing I can do to cause him to love me anymore. And there's nothing I can do to cause him to love me any less. When that truth gets a hold of us, when we embrace that truth, we're then freed up to go show the love of God to others. And the band's gonna come, they're gonna lead us just in a time to respond. Let's just let the love of God just flow over us in the next few moments.